So the title of the message today is O to See for the very first time. We, over the last month or so, kind of took a break from our study of the Gospel of John. We were in John basically all of 2019, other than the last month or so. Uh, it, was, it was fun to kind of do some topical stuff, but we're getting back today to uh, our study of John's Gospel. Uh, as a reminder, we're still in the first 11 chapters, which some have called the Book of Signs or the Section of Signs or Miracles. Now, this is a section of the book where John is, is kind of validating the ministry of Jesus, showing that He truly is the Christ, showing that we should believe in His message and believe that He is who He says He is. And the signs are there. The signs are given, He tells us in the end of the book, so that we would believe. The purpose of the sign is to validate the message and the messenger. So today we look at one of those signs, one of those miracles. And this is a story that I'm, I'm, I want to just today just read the whole story. Uh, it's, it's all of chapter 9. It's going to take a little bit, but I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's going to take about five minutes. But I didn't want to break this story up in little pieces. I think it's better if we could just see the story unfold uh, as it unfolds in the in the in the text. So that's where we're going to be at today. John chapter 9, verse 1 is where I'll start. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day, <clears throat> night is coming when, we, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked how he had received sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they again said to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, 
He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents did these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered them, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that you would open our eyes. We pray that you might be gracious even now to unstop deaf ears and blind eyes uh, if there be any person in this room that does not truly know you as Savior and Lord. We pray that you would teach us through this passage that you would instruct us. Fill me, Lord. Speak through me. Keep me from any folly or error. Uh, Would you build up your church today through your word? We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's been a little while since we were in this book, uh, but you may remember that The last two chapters, 7 and 8, were largely taking place at this festival that Jesus went to, Feast of Booths. And we saw that at that festival, one of the things that they would do was light two huge lanterns. Some people speculate that these lanterns were as tall as the city walls of Jerusalem. And they would light these two torches at night, and the people would dance under them and celebrate and rejoice under the glow of these torches they say that you could see Jerusalem from miles, miles around. And these torches were symbolic of God's guidance of His people in the wilderness. You remember when, when Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, God led them in the day by a pillar of cloud and at night by a pillar of fire. And these two torches symbolized or were a memorial to God's guidance for His people through their wilderness wanderings where they lived in booths or tents or tabernacles. So this has just taken place uh, recently, and it was in that context that Jesus gave one of His famous I Am statements, 
or as they just celebrated under the glow of those lights for a week, he says, I am the light of the world. He said, whoever follows me will no longer walk in darkness. Jesus, again, in our passage here, utters those words, and then he shows us, he reveals to us through this sign that he truly is the light of the world, that he could bring light into the darkness. I turn your attention back to the passage as we see the first section here that I've called the sign or the miracle. Uh, in verse 1 again, he passed by and he sees a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It was a common understanding in that day that when a person had some sort of disease, infirmity, handicap, whatever, uh, that it was, it was because of sin. They, they looked at sin and suffering as closely tied together, that if a person was crippled or paralyzed, that it was God's judgment upon them. They must have done something to incur that, that illness. And they even believed that a, that a child sometimes could sin in the womb of its mother. For instance, if a, if a woman was pregnant and she went into the temple of an idol, a pagan temple, and worshipped a false god, then that baby, they thought, would also be guilty of false worship or idolatry. Now, we see this understanding of sin and suffering in the book of Job. Remember, Job calls his friends his miserable comforters because they couldn't reconcile the fact that, that he had to sin somehow for all this to be brought on him. They kept telling him, there's got to be a, a secret sin, something you lie about, something you don't know, because God wouldn't do this unless you had sin. But Jesus kind of clears up that thinking here, right? He does away with that understanding, and he says something very interesting. He says, this man was born blind for the glory of God. This man was born blind so that the works of God could be shown. This man has spent his life as a blind man, so that on this day, Jesus could come and open His eyes and that God would be glorified. The works of God, the power of God would be shown through this man. You know, some people might hear that and say, that's, that's wrong. That's messed up. That's not fair. Why would God let this guy be blind his whole life just to open his eyes one day? I'm going to speculate here. But I'm going to wager that this man, at the end of our story, was not mad at God. That he was actually pretty pleased with what had taken place, what had transpired. But I want you to think about your own life. Uh, we've been considering a lot recently Romans 8.28 in different contexts. started when we were talking about the sovereignty of God and, and the memorial service and last week's sermon. But this idea that God is working all things for good. He's working the difficult and the fun. He's working the, the lows and the highs for our good. And I want you to think about your own life and to think what might God be using right now to get glory through you? What difficult situation, what hardship that you go through, what season that you might be walking through is God actually using to bring glory to Himself as His work in you is seen? Maybe it's your patience and faithful witness in a hostile work environment. Maybe it's your joy and contentment as you suffer much affliction in this life. Maybe it's your steadfastness of hope in Him and His plan for your life in the midst of 
financial uncertainty and even ruin. Maybe it's some infirmity that, that by His will He's allowed you to live with. That He might be glorified as you trust in Him even in the midst of hardship and suffering. How might God be using your life today to bring glory to Himself? We can see clearly with, with this man how God uses him as he opens up his eyes. And you notice here that Jesus restates that he is the light of the world in verse 5. And then he goes on to perform this miracle to show in a tangible way that he can bring light where there is none. Where there is utter darkness, where sight has never been, he can bring light into this man's life. And I love this kind of simple faith, yet powerful testimony that we see in verse 7, at the end of verse 7. He says, it says, so he went and washed, came back seeing. It says it all plainly, like it's not that big of a deal, but consider the man. This is a life-changing experience for this guy. This is a paradigm-shifting experience that he had no sight his entire life. And here comes this man, and maybe he's heard things about Jesus. He's heard the talk and, and the, some of the stuff that he was doing. Uh, and, he, and this guy tells him to go wash in this water. Puts mud on his eyes. And the guy fumbles down to the water. Maybe he's thinking, you know, what am I doing? But hey, it's worth a shot, right? Why not? I'm going to try it out. And it says that he, he, he went and he washed. And he came back to see This man lived his life in absolute darkness. He'd never seen his own face. He'd never seen a flower or the sky or a, a, a sunset. A million glories awaited him as his eyes were given sight, as Jesus opens his eyes for the first time. But dear Christian, do you see the, the connection here to the power of God and salvation? Do you see the connection to your story and the power of the Gospel in your life? We might, we might take his testimony change it just a little bit, we might say something like, I heard, and I believed, and I see. Because we too were blind, like this blind man. Vision was clouded, did not have the light, we walked around blind, we thought we could see, even, right? We, we thought we had full sight to understand the world, to understand who we, who we were. But like this man, we didn't actually know what it meant to truly see. Then he opened your spiritual eyes. You believed in the gospel and God was gracious to reveal himself to you. And your life has never been the same. <laughs> I love that smile. Your life has never been the same. Because as he opened your eyes, a million glories were yours to behold. And as, you began, as you began to understand the riches of his mercy, as you began to understand the love of the cross, that thing that we'd all seen, we've all heard about, people wearing necklaces, and what is this whole cross thing? And all of a sudden, the cross brings you to your knees. As you began to see the depth of your own guilt before holy God, yet the ever greater vastness of His mercy and grace as He abundantly washed away your guilt and cleansed you of your sin. Amen, indeed. He went and washed, and came back seeing. We see the sign there, this miracle that Jesus does. And number two, we now, as the story unfolds, we see the ensuing 
confusion that takes place or debate or controversy begins with kind of an uproar. Right? Can this really be the man? They've seen him in the town square or at the city gates. Everyone knows this guy. He's blind. He's sat on a mat for years. Probably given him alms. They've helped him cross the street. They're quicker to believe that he just looks like that guy. right? It's not really him. It's his doppelganger. Looks just like him. It's not really him. And the man is emphatic. I am the man. Hello, it's me. Yeah, I can see. He's like, come on, you guys. No, I'm the guy. You're talking about me. Here I am. The guy you've given alms to. The guy you've helped. The guy you've blessed. The guy you've cursed, maybe. Ah, get out of here. I'm not giving you my money. Here I am. I can see now. now I think there's a point of application to be made here. A couple points. Uh, the true work of God is evident. When God works, you can see it. Evidence. It's often, it's often received with surprise and, and some, some wow. Right? When we look at, at in the Bible, when God heals, people know it. Right? When God heals someone, the paralyzed walk, withered hands are restored, lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised. When God moves with power in a person's life, you can see it. People know. People testify to it. It's, it's, it. it's a miracle. That's what a miracle is. There's no other explanation for it. And we have on these days uh, in the Christian, larger Christian, I, I use quotes there, uh, circle or church, if you will, many, sadly, many charlatans, many false prophets that have made a living uh, healing you know, lower back pains and and stomach maladies that can never be seen with the human eye. Right? These, these people, uh, many of them are false teachers, are ravenous wolves that are out there to, to fleece the flock. Uh, they never allow people in wheelchairs or handicapped or with terminal illnesses anywhere near the platform at their conferences. If you want to test that, get in a wheelchair and go to one and see you'll be shoved off to the side. They'll never let you on the stage because your healing can be is verifiable. The person is paralyzed. Everyone's going to know if they're healed. Jesus warned us about men like this in Matthew seven. He said, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like Christians. They're part of the they're part of the group. They know the lingo. They know the language. They read the Bible. They 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 teach out of the Bible at least kind of, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves." They're out for themselves. They want to devour the sheep and gain for themselves. Second Peter were warned that there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. If I can be blunt, these men and these women are devils. They are doing the work of Satan, fleecing the flock for their own financial gain. They prey on those that are weak and destitute so that they can reap a financial gain. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't heal, but I'm saying those, there are those out there that abuse the Spirit of God, that abuse the name of Jesus and claim to heal, yet never are able to do anything that is verifiable. But when we see in the text, when God heals... People know. 
Right? You can see a work of God. There is evidence uh, when God heals. Number two, also, a true work of God is evident when He works salvation in a person. Again, when God saves, people know it. Right? There, there is some form of evidence there, and that usually is a changed life. Right? A new heart. He says we, we become new creation. The heart of stone is taken out. The heart of flesh is given. A growing love for the things that God loves is usually a sign. A, a growing turning and hatred for the things that God hates is usually a sign. God doesn't save people in secret. But there's evidence. And when that evidence is lacking, whether it's in our own life or those that we minister to, we should be concerned and we should pray that God would work. If a, if a person can go on in sin with no concern or conviction before God whatsoever, we should be concerned, whether that's our own life or someone that we love, someone, someone that God has placed in our life. I think it's obvious that as we look into Scripture, when God works, people know there's evidence. You can, you can see when God does a miracle, there's no, there's no question, there's no uh, what if. Uh, so there's confusion here. There's some debate taking place. Did this really happen? Could this guy really be healed? Now, number three, we see the subsequent investigations. And I put those, they're kind of, I don't know that they're, they're serious investigations, but the subsequent investigations and the refusal of the Jews to believe, at least, at least some of them. We see three investigations take place of this man's miracle. He's brought before the Pharisees and... The, the, the crowds want to know, is this legit? Did this really happen? Is God really at work here? Every one of these instances, we see kind of their unwillingness to, to receive the plain evidence. Their unwillingness to believe what's taking place right in front of their eyes. Uh, in the first situation in verse 16, uh, we see that there's a discrepancy about the Sabbath. You know, oh, this, this, this can't be true. Because this man made mud on the Sabbath. He, he spit on the ground and made a little a patch of mud and put it on their eyes. I mean, talk about missing what's right in front of your eyes for, for, for you know, making an excuse. I mean, this guy was blind and now he sees. And they're so hung up on any little thing. It seems to me uh, they're just looking for any way to discredit Jesus. Right? We've seen time and time again in, in the book of John that the Pharisees turned the Sabbath into this huge legalistic thing that God never intended. They wanted a thousand different rules of what you couldn't do uh, on the Sabbath. So their first excuse is that it can't be true because this man did it on the Sabbath. So he must be a sinner. Therefore, God can't be at work in him. Then they bring his parents. Right? We'll, we'll debunk this thing. We'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. We'll bring his parents in here. When his parents come in, you see they're just full of fear. They're scared because they've been told. Notice already this early in, in the beginning of the church, Jesus is not even crucified yet. Word is already out that if you confess this guy to be the Messiah, you're out of the synagogue. And for you to be out of the synagogue, you're out of life in the community. It's not just you don't get to go to church. You're out of trade in the public square and work. You're really you're an outcast of society if, you're, if, you're, if you've been put out of the synagogue. Well, they come and they, they don't even want to touch the whole Jesus aspect. They say, yes, that's our son. Yes, he was blind. And that's all we know. We don't know how he got healed. We don't know who did it. 
We just know that he was blind. Ask him. He's of age. Right? He's an adult. We don't know how old he is, but he's at least of age, of legal age at that time. Uh, then they turn back to the man. And you've got to love these guys. It's like they're acting like they're, they're trying to get down to this thing. Uh, but in verse 24, uh, they say, For the second time they called him in, the man who'd been blind, and they say to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Just tell us he's a sinner and end this thing. Come on. We know he's a sinner. They, they obviously aren't really trying to understand what took place, uh, but they just want to, to somehow denigrate the Lord Jesus. And it kind of turns on their head as this guy begins to mock them a little bit. It's kind of an ironic uh, turn there. You guys are the religious leaders. You guys are the spiritual gurus. There's some guy out here performing miracles and you don't even know who he is. You have, you have no clue where he came from. Do you want to be his disciple too? And that really gets him and they, get out of here. We don't, we're disciples of Moses. I think there's some application here that, that those that reject Jesus can always find a reason. Right? Can always find some excuse. There's always an answer to why I whether it's trying to shoot holes into the Bible, whether it's trying to shoot holes into God's goodness or who He is or the, the history of Jesus, unbelievers always have some excuse, some reason. There's always something to find. Right? To shoot holes in. Uh, that old statement, if I just had enough evidence, just really isn't true. You remember the story in Luke 16 of the rich man and the poor man, and the rich man goes to hell and the poor man goes to heaven. And Jesus says that the rich man is in hell. And he's, he can see where he's at and that there is something far better that he is missing out on. And he says, Lord, let me go to my family or send somebody from here. Give them a message that I am in pain and suffering in here so that they won't come to this place also. You remember his answer? He says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament, which was the Bible in their day, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. He says they have the book. They have the Word of God. That's enough. And if they reject Moses and the prophets, if they reject the Word of God, it doesn't even matter if you come back from the dead. That may frighten them for a while to conform to some external Christianity, to, to try to follow some rules because they're scared, but they will not truly repent and trust in Jesus. If they've rejected the Word, and even a person who comes back from the dead will not be enough to convince them. Because at its heart, the issue is one of sin. It's an unwillingness to submit to God, to, to dethrone self. It's not an issue of evidence. If it was really just about evidence, then the Pharisees all should have been converted. Because they witnessed all sorts of miracles and things that Jesus did, yet they rejected Him time and time again. But in the midst of their rejection, in the midst of their pushing this guy away and rejecting Jesus, uh, we see here at the end something beautiful happen. Uh, number four, the proper response to Christ. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. 
proper response to Jesus is faith and worship. A proper response to His Lordship, to His deity, His, his Godness, to His grace and mercy, to His sacrifice at Calvary, to His cleansing of sinners, to His truthfulness, to His compassion, to His patience, to the beauty of all that He is, is faith and worship. A simple and humble submission to Jesus Christ. In the midst of all the skepticism, all the doubt, all the outright rejection by the Pharisees, we see this simple statement of faith by this man. Lord, I believe. What an awesome story of sight being given to a blind man. He first at the beginning receives his natural sight, lived his whole life in darkness, and he gets to see the world for the first time. Begins to understand the grass that he felt on his feet, the sky, the heat of the sun, the, the faces of those in his life around him, his own body. And here now his spiritual blindness is removed. He sees Christ for who he is and his only response is worth You know, at times as Christians, uh, we can kind of complicate things, can we not? Whether it be our walk with Jesus or the Gospel, we can make this thing so difficult. As essence, our response to Jesus is faith and worship. To believe that He is the Christ and to give Him the honor that He is due and rightly deserves. So if you're here today, you know, oftentimes when it comes to Christians, there's kind of two types of people. On this side you have what, what are called which just means no law. And that's the person where if you say anything about any command or any obedience, then you're just a legalist. It's, it's all about grace. And you don't talk about any sort of following God in any sort of way like that. Then you have the other guy over here, and we'll call him, we don't have any Larrys. We call him Larry Legalist. right? And he thrives on the rule following. And he thrives on, on commandments. And he sees his standing before God not so much that he is standing justified by Christ, but how much he is able to keep all the various commandments. Uh, but if you're here today and you tend to lean more on this side and you have kind of a burden that you don't do enough for Jesus, that your walk isn't uh, where you would hope that it would be, I want to say that Jesus has done enough for you. Jesus is the one that has made you righteous. Jesus is the one that has purchase your salvation. Jesus is the one that brings you into the family of God that has adopted you as a son or a daughter. That we would take this man's example to believe and to worship. To take the Lord Jesus Christ at His Word. To trust and believe that He died for you, for your sin. And allow that great truth to guide and steer and motivate all that we do. And to worship Him to give Christ a rightful glory and honor in our lives, to enjoy Him and His presence. Lastly, number five in our story, as it draws to a close, we see the irony of it all. The irony of it all. Let me, let me read these last couple of verses, starting in 39. For Jesus, or Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, 
are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Notice the irony of these two groups and Jesus' work in sinners. We see first in the Pharisees, they kind of had it all, at least from an external perspective. They had the power, they had the prestige, they had the intelligence, supposedly they were the scholars, the students of the Bible, they were pious in their, in their practice as they followed God very, uh, you could see it in the way that they lived their lives, at least on the outside. They even had the fear of the people, we see in this story. The people were, were frightened of these folks. Uh, they knew the law inside and out. They could supposedly see Jesus for what He was, and they had rejected Him. Yet they were utterly blind to sin. They were utterly blind to their condition before God. They knew the law inside and out. But sadly, they thought that they had done enough to go to God on their own. They thought that they had done enough that God would accept them as they were. Their pride had darkened their vision so that when the light of the world was right in front of them, when the promised Messiah was doing the work of heaven right before their eyes, they did not have the ability to see. They were blinded by their sin. But then we have this blind man. He's got nothing. I mean, he's got nothing. He's got nothing to be proud of, nothing to call his own, no position in the community, no provide for himself. But he knew he was blind. He knew that there was something about him that was wrong he had no solution for. He had no way to fix himself. He saw his own need. In his weakness and in his meekness, he gained everything. Physical sight was just a bonus. Right, that's great, but the physical side is a bonus. He gained eternity and he gained Christ. You have these religious men who know the law, who cannot see Jesus for who he is, and you have this blind, meek, and feeble man who simply says, Lord, I believe. And he bows down and he worships. Those that think that they have sight, think that they know it all, think that they have it all figured out, actually remain blind. And those that recognize their blindness, it is to them that He gives sight. Jesus' words in Mark chapter 2, He says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now we need to be careful there not to misunderstand the words of Jesus. He knows that all are sinners. He's not saying that there are actually some people that are righteous that don't need Him. But what He's saying is He's come for those that know that they're sick. Know that they are broken. Know that they are guilty and desire that He would come and heal them. Well, in our story here, what a, what a great testimony, what a great example that it really is of the battle of belief and unbelief. And if you're here today, uh, we would all do well to heed the example of the blind men. That we wouldn't be like the Pharisees who hardened their hearts and thought themselves good enough to be accepted by God. I've done enough. I've lived according to this set of standards and God has accepted me on my own. The Bible is clear that all have sinned and fallen short of His glory. But they would, we would heed the example of the blind men. Recognize our brokenness. Recognize our need for Jesus. 
Recognize that we cannot fix our own spiritual blindness on ourselves and that we would turn to Christ again and again and say, Lord, I believe and worship Him. If you're here today and you are a believer, but maybe you've kind of wandered away a bit, not that you're in some crazy life of sin, but maybe you would never say this, but maybe your life... Uh, is actually lived out where you would say, Lord, thank You for saving me, but I got this now. And you might never utter those words, but if someone was to look at your life, uh, you live on your own strength, on your own power. Uh, You know that you can save yourself, but now today, maybe there's a, a bit of a blindness that has come back. That you fail to recognize your daily, hourly, minute by minute need of grace and mercy of Jesus. And if that's you today, kind of kind of wandered away from the Lord a bit, I want to encourage you to heed the example of this blind man. To recognize your own failness, to recognize your own weakness, and to simply say, Lord, I believe. I know that I can't fix myself. I know that I don't have all the strength to accomplish everything that I need to day by day. I know that I don't have the strength to keep me in the faith, that my heart would wander without you. Lord, I believe. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You. We thank You for this powerful testimony of light shining into the darkness. Lord, while this is a picture, it's a real story, but it's a picture of what You do in the life of a sinner. Uh, All of us here that have trusted in Jesus have experienced this same uh, giving of sight. Lord, You removed our spiritual blinders and allowed us to behold a million glories in Jesus. You've allowed us to behold the truth about this world, about our own lives, about our Creator, about salvation, about the promise of eternal life. You've enabled us to see uh, our sin as it is, and You've accepted us as we are. You didn't call us to clean up our act, but You called us to trust and believe. So Lord, we thank You for that simple promise and as and it, as it can be so hard as we see in this story for some to believe looking for any reason to excuse this miracle we thank you that it really is that simple lord i believe thank you for the promises that we have in christ may you continue to enrich and strengthen us in them today we pray in jesus name well it is a communion sunday we turn now